I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes a big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and to share them here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going, and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Mimi Bland. She says, understand the love of thyself and for those around us. Mimi has more than 20 years experience gaining knowledge in the field of mindset, positivity, clarity and spirituality. But life has not always been easy for her. In fact, far from it. She's been faced with several challenges to overcome, from being in unhealthy and abusive relationships, that's both physically and mentally, and she's gone on to develop an eating order that lasted for 10 years. Both challenges, amongst many others, resulted in her fighting a long battle with low self-esteem, a lack of confidence and deep self-loathing. She used food to control and punish herself, repeating the unpleasant words her abusers rained upon her. I wanted Mimi on the show because she's come through all of that trauma to find the secrets of success. She discovered the formula to get all the past pain in her life and create a thriving business and become a number one best-selling author of The Answer Is You. This is a story of overcoming abusive relationships, low self-esteem and coming out of the other side to achieve amazing levels of success. Mimi is a successful businesswoman based in England and of course will be revealing the secrets to all of her success and what it takes to get there. So let's bring in the amazing lady herself. Welcome to the show, Mimi Bland. Hey, hey. Mimi, you're looking Hi. fantastic as ever. How are you today? Very well. Thank you so much for having me on this show today. Thank you. Good stuff. Well, before we get into what happened to you and your fabulous book, I want to find out about you, Mimi the person. So I have three questions to get us going. So, where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? Oh, great questions. Yeah, nice easy ones to get yeah. us started. <laughs> um, I was born in London, uh, in former. Um, and growing up, it was tough. My parents had no money at all. So they both worked really hard. But it was a real struggle for both of them. Um, my mother used to make all our clothes. 
Um, and I remember stories of um, real hardship where they used to file down the uh, the big two pence, I think it was, to, to put into the gas meters and things. So it was tough for them. But um, but we had a good childhood, you know. We, we always had food on the table, clothes. And um, so growing up was, you know, we had, we had everything that we needed. Um, my dreams and aspirations as a child, um, I always wanted to be a mother. That was my number one goal, to be a mum. I just love children. And that's all I ever dreamt about was just one day being a mother myself. Um, and an air stewardess. Um, I wanted to be an air stewardess. Don't ask me why, but, <laughs> but I did. And I, I remember at the age of four, uh, five maybe, um, I remember I used to have a reoccurring vision. Um, and I had this sort of quest inside of me as well. So this vision I never understood at the time, but I used to have this reoccurring dream. And this reoccurring dream was that I was going to do something amazing in the world. And at that time, I never understood it. And I didn't understand the components of the dream until very later on. But I'll tell you about that later. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely come on to that. Well, <clears throat> whenever I see you, I mean, you, you post on LinkedIn regularly, daily, I think, I mean, you always look fantastic. I gotta know who is your stylist. I need them on my side to get me sorted out. Who is it? It's myself. Um, I, I love I love clothes, um, and I have my own unique way that I like to dress. And people say to me, "Oh, you must be so rich. You, you know, the clothes you wear are so expensive." Actually, you know, I say to people, "The dress I had on the other day it was four pounds. It was six pounds." From you know, I pick up things. Not for the prices. I don't look at if they're designer. I just pick up what I like and then I just put it together. But I, I've always have been like that. So, and I don't know. You no, know, looking back now, I don't know if this obsession, like with clothing and looking a certain way, came from when I was younger because I was always told that I was dirty and disgusting. So I just, I noticed that everything had to be shiny. Like I used to have to wear patent shoes that were mirrors, shiny, no dirt on them. And I started, everything had to be perfect. Um, and that's evolved now to just, I just love clothes and I love fashion, so. <laughs> okay, if I can rewind then, who was telling you you were filthy and you dirty? Well, um, when I was growing up, um, obviously, you know, when we're younger, you know, not putting any blame on anyone at all, but our parents have suffered their own experiences in life. And as we know, everything comes from our family dynamics, not that you would know that at the time, but we just repeat patterns of what has been ingrained in us since we were young children. So, you know, my mother and father, I love them both very much and they were amazing parents, but my mother's mother died when she was only nine. And nobody would tell her why her mother had died. So she went blind for a year. And then she thought that her mother died because she was a bad person. So she was put in with the nuns. And the nuns used to really abuse her and used to hit her every day for wetting the bed. And they punished her severely. So growing up, I used to wet the bed. So I was punished severely and smacked and told I was dirty and disgusting for wetting the bed. And it became... You know that that became sort of like a fulfilling prophecy throughout my life then so that was the beginning the the, uh, the imprinting started then wow wow it's nuns as well i mean yeah i mean the, some of the stories i could tell you were, were not nice what she went through and i only found out much later on in her life you know but it was very disturbing and um, I, you, you know we have these experiences that really denote and really dictate how our life is going to go on because we think that the things we're doing today 
they're really nothing. They're to do with the imprinting, the coding that we've had inside of ourselves from such a young age, and that controls everything we do. So it's very, it's really um, serious for parents with children to really understand what they're saying and how they act in front of their children because they're just absorbing everything. Okay. So when you said about wetting the bed and your mother hitting you, calling you dirty, disgusting, whatever, you actually said, and that was the beginning. You mean this carried on in your life? The pattern continued? Yeah, because... What happened, I, I don't want it to sound bad on my parents because they were amazing parents, but my mum was stressed because she had to go to work and she had to earn money. So every morning you could imagine coming into a bedroom and the bed soaking wet again. So she had to keep stripping the bed off. She's stressed out because she has to go to work. So I used to have the sheets wrapped around me and I used to be told that oh, you'll have to go to school like that. So it was more of a humiliation and, you know, and stuff. And then... Um, my mum, you know, God bless her, she was very strict at home. So from morning to evening, my sister and I, we used to stay at home and clean the house. And it was very much imprinted in us from old school that our only job in life was to be subservient to men. So our, we was only here really to shut up, put up and to look after, you know, to be a good wife to somebody. Um, so from morning to evening, we used to have to clean and tidy up. But it was very imprinted on us about fear as well. So if we used to go out and play, and then as children do, you get messy. Um, I remember one day we went out and we were running up and down the hills and uh, we got our shoes, the hills were sort of like a bit tattered. And we came home and hid them in the back of the cupboard because we were so afraid. And when my mum saw them, she really gave us a, a beating with those shoes. So we was everything was fear based, and then that's then you take that on and go forward as well. So that was the beginning for me attracting the relationships that I went into because I never felt good enough. I always felt unworthy and undeserving. So I then, if there was like five thousand men in a room, I would pick the one person that would not like me or would be abusive towards me because you're like a magnet. It's what you're attracting. It's what you're putting out there. Not that I knew that at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, th that was my next question, actually, because that it sounded to me like that's what you were alluding to. So I've heard of the law of attraction, but it's only put in a good context, of course. So uh, this is your speciality about the psychology of, of how we do stuff. So is it possible to expand a little bit more on how we manifest things in our lives, whatever that manifestation might be? Yeah, of course, because the law of attraction is the law of you. So that's all it states is that whatever you put out with your words, your feelings, you will get back in like a magnet. So, you know, we have... 20 billion thoughts a day so it's not you know it's not the thoughts that you think randomly but it's the thoughts that you put with emotion behind it so it's what you feel and what you feel good or bad will come into existence so if you and people think well you know how is that because i never asked for this to happen but of course you didn't but if you had a fear that you was going to be unwell or you feared something or you had interpretation or whatever that's the magnet it's drawing in people and situations on the same wavelength on the same frequency like dogs you know they emit a, they, they admit a scent don't they and then they pick up on that scent it's the same thing with us people are picking up and coming into our lives 
via our vibration of frequency and what we're emitting. So everything is energy. So whatever thoughts you're emitting, whatever feelings, it's like um, it goes out, it, it broadcasts outside of you. And anything that's on that frequency, you'll attract back to you. So, you know, I always say to people, the answer is you, the problem is you, and the solution is you. And I think that's really powerful because when you actually understand that you are the sole creator of every life experience that you are experiencing, then that means that you can change it as well. Wow, that's very powerful. I've got about three million questions for you now. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to process them and and think about this. But going back to your fashion and your self-loathing, when I want to get my head around, and I've seen many women, particularly women on LinkedIn, who are very, very stylish, but have this self-loathing. And I've seen guys comment and other women comment. And here's my question for you, really. It's, you say you've always been interested in fashion. I get that. You're very good at it. You're talented. But I'm interested in this conflict between the feelings you have of self-loathing and your ability to look fantastic anybody from the outside would look at you and think Mimi what on earth are you talking about self-loathing I mean you're gorgeous so what is it that goes on in people's lives but especially in your life because you can relate to it what is it that allows both of those things to coexist it's an imprint. So if you can imagine, like when you are younger, um, it, and everything does come from those early years, those imprints that we form. So if you are in, in an, a situation, and it doesn't have to be traumatic, it could be traumatic to you or the meaning that you've given to that situation. You're, we think in pictures. So we take a photograph of that event and then it becomes recorded and the emotions get stuck in our body. That's what a lot of illnesses and things are, it's suppressed emotions that at the time we didn't know how to deal with them. So we shove them inside. So the imprints that I had formed on me was that I was ugly and disgusting. I used to be locked in a cupboard with a baby's potty because I was too ugly to be seen. So over the years, when when you get told every single day, even by my partners, don't look at me, go and sit in the corner. Don't look at me because you're too disgusting. I don't want to see your face. Eventually, you kept thinking to yourself, what's wrong with me? Oh, my God, I must be disgusting. You don't understand it because your brain can only you, you, your brain can only come up with examples of what, what's, um, what's in your history. So your brain is a recording device and it just records everything that you know. And then your body is it, it's always um, it's a slave to your brain. So the emotions are trapped in your body. So you can't think greater than the experiences you've had. So I never had any other references to say, no, you're not this person, or actually look at yourself, you are pretty, because I was only going on what kept being fed into me. So every single day I was told I was dirty, I was disgusting, don't look at me, you're filthy. Look at these other women. This is what you call a beautiful woman. You're just a piece of, excuse my language, mm. SHIT. You know, you look at you, are disgusting, don't look at me. So for me, that, like, you know, that imprinting every day, I really thought I must be a filthy, dirty, disgusting person because it, the words have been spoken over me for so, for so long. 
What I find fascinating there, if you'll forgive me, but you're not talking about your parents now, are you? You said no, in there you were talking about partners. Yes. Um, how how does that happen? How do you get locked in a cupboard and stand in a corner and don't look at me? And how does it get to that stage? Because what happens is it's like it becomes your normality. You don't know any other life. So from being a child and being told what to do and what not to do, how to think, how not to think, what's right, what's not right, then you meet these partners where you attract them. I attracted these people. And then the pattern continues. But because you you do it unconsciously and because you have no awareness, like, you know, if I used to, sometimes I was able to go out or go and see people or I'd go shopping or whatever, and um, I might talk to somebody and, and they'd say to me, it's not normal. Like, why are you allowing someone to do this to you? Then I would get upset with them because they were making me feel like I was mad because I didn't know what they were talking about. And I'm like, what do you mean? what's not normal because that's all that's the only world i knew if you was locked up in a in the basement for all your life in the dark you wouldn't know what the light was you wouldn't know what existence was so you have to retrain yourself in a different modality of life because that's that's all you've known so to you that is normal behavior that's how people are really that's how people treat you so it's an encoding inside of yourself that you become to the point where number one you have a lot of fear because I always used to associate if you answer someone back, you're going to get hit. So I, I used to get to the stage where I'd become very subservient and I found coping mechanisms where I'd go within myself and I might find myself somewhere else. Um, so I wouldn't, I could escape the pain of what I was going through at that time. So I took myself out of that existence. So my emotions really wasn't like, oh, like what's happening to me? I had literally learned how to dissolve my feelings. So I couldn't feel the pain of the abuse that I was having at that time, which sometimes like now I still struggle. I struggled for a long time to really get connected back to those emotions because I found a way of not connecting to them. So trying trying to bring them up to feel them because you have to feel your emotions to to heal yourself i really struggled with that for a long time i can imagine i honestly i'm i'm emotional now listening i just want to hug you it's oh. <laughs> you know, but that was I, I look at it people said to me the other day i was talking about something and i was talking about um one day um if i'm allowed to say this online where i took to, to be raped um and it it was in my own home and somebody said to me, hey, what, wait a minute, you just said, and I said, yeah, because that was part of my life experience, but it was an amazing part of my life experience because I really think that every life happens to you. You know, it really happens for you as well. You know, it's like everything is for you to be able to then, if I hadn't had those experiences, I'd never be able to do what I do today. And I really look at it that sometimes God picks us and he tries to pick the people that he knows are going to be able to overcome that abuse that are strong enough to do it so that we can then go and help other people. And it's a gift. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, um, something bad that happens to me. I really do see it as a gift in my life. I think that's a wonderful frame to see life. In fact, you've just pulled out one of my favorite things that I say, which is life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Definitely. And yeah. Um, beautiful. Perhaps we'll come on to that later. Okay, uh, I'm so emotional here. So, 
What was the catalyst then for deciding to escape the cycle of these years of abuse? There was there was two things that happened to me. So I remember, like, I started seeing the effect it was having on my children. I really did start seeing where my older son was getting into relationships that wasn't healthy. Um, and he couldn't see the pattern, but I could see the pattern of what my imprinting was doing to him. And um, watching, listening sometimes to my younger son, um, crying, and they both used to say to me, like, you know, mum, we'll look after you and things. I still couldn't understand it because I was still sort of in that cycle. And then I remember a couple of times, I just, I, you've got to remember where my mindset is, because if I heard somebody saying this today, I'd think that's such a disgusting thing to say because you've got children. But I just got to the stage where I just didn't want to be here anymore. I thought, I'm, I can't cope with my children I can't do it for them I'm a useless mother and they deserve better than this and I just didn't think I, I in the mindset I had I didn't see any way that I could escape this prison I had created for myself and I didn't want that for them and um, my older son was very intuitive he'd always had a real gift of intuition and I remember I mean it states where I went but I went to a hospital and I sat in the car park so that's you know, subconsciously, obviously, I didn't want to do anything because I actually drove to a hospital. But I sat there and um, I was going to cut my wrist and take my life. And I just made that decision. And um, I was, all, I always used to have conversations with God and I was like asking him like, to forgive me. I'm so sorry, but I just don't see another way out. And within that split second, my telephone rang and it was my son. And he said this to me, and this literally changed my life. I don't want to get upset because every time you go back to something, you, it brings the triggers up. But he said to me, Mum, I don't know where you are, and I don't know what you're about to do, but just come home, and I promise you, <laughs> everything will be all right. And that moment, something clicked in my head, and I just knew that everything was going to change. And from that moment on, my life completely changed. And that was, yeah, that was the start of, but to be honest, that was the start of immense change, but I didn't have any idea that it was actually going to be changed in one way for the worst. And that was um, something that I didn't understand at that time. Because when we think we leave a situation, suddenly you think you're going to have this amazing life and it's all going to become right for you, but you don't realize you take yourself with you. So when eventually when I left a certain situation and I was on my own and I thought suddenly I was going to be amazingly happy and everything was going to be amazing, I then abused myself. So I became the abuser of me and that's how the bulimia came about because it was so normal for me that I didn't feel comfortable not being abused. So I would then eat so much food. I'd eat like a loaf of bread, um, a whole pot of hog and dance, 10 packets of crisp and you name it I'd, I'd eat to the point where you could not fill your stomach with any more food and then I'd go to the bathroom and I'd say the same thing to myself that you're dirty disgusting and I would make myself sick then I'd go and do the same process five times a day 10 years so you could imagine what that done to my internal self you know my my hair was falling out um, all my periods had stopped um, my my internals were completely destroyed and I went down to five and a half stone, but I was very good at hiding it with the clothes I wore. So nobody knew the pattern of what I was hiding. It only got to the stage where I knew I was killing myself and then something had to change dramatically. So what happened? What was the catalyst? At what point did you say, Mimi, this is not good? 
I think I knew it wasn't good. I just didn't know how to stop. So a friend of mine was friends with Paul McKenna and um, they sent me to go and see Richard Bandler and Paul McKenna to become an NLP um, practitioner. And I'd never been interested in anything like that at all. And I remember the day I went, it was in a hotel in London. I was so afraid because I'd never really, it's the first time I'd ventured out to meet people and see people. And I remember I phoned my mother and I was crying in the corner. I said, please, can we pick me up? I've got to get out of here. I feel sick. And I just, just lost it out. It might be okay. And uh, it was one of the best things that I'd done. I met people, I, I integrated with them, and they kept saying to me, well, you have a gift. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you just, you're like, because uh, we had to get into groups. And I remember, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I was sitting on a chair above them all. And then they were asking questions and everyone was trying to figure things out. And I would help them. And they're like, you, you're just so, you're amazing at this. And I was like, oh, am I? I didn't realize. Um, so I got my qualification and I became an NLP um, instructor, but I, I never really um, associated with NLP. And it never helped me personally. So that's when I decided to go on a quest. I became a hip, I'd done hypnotherapy never done anything for me. I'm, I'd done emotional freedom. I, I became a Reiki master. I, I tried everything. But it was like, I, I realized it was like layers. It'd make you feel good for a little bit, but then you'd go back to the program. And I was like, this isn't working. So I really studied them for, I mean, I'd always has an infinite um, a relationship with, you know, when I say God and Jesus, I don't like that word because it has so many um, condemnations of what it means. But to me, God is love. It's an energy. So I really went on a hunt. I went through every spiritual practice. I went through all the years of all the teachings and that's been left for us to learn. And it all came back to one thing, and that was love, like who we are, the foundations of who we are. Um, I read the Bible, you know, the, um, everything. And I really then started to understand that, wow, who I thought I was wasn't me. And it was a fictitious person. That's not who I am at all. So how do I reach my true inner core, my, the truth of who I am? And that's what I then decided to do. And that's when my life transformed. So that's when I understood that, you know, we are a spiritual being having a very human experience. And the encoding that we have inside of us put upon us by other people, but they're not bad people. We're, there was no bad people in this world. And everyone's going to say, well, that can't be true because look at everything that's happening. They're just people that are devoid of love. So anyone that's doing anything to hurt another, they're just seeking, desperately seeking love themselves. They've been through painful experiences and it's just recorded in them. So they're just going on like unconsciously doing things. And that's where the patterns have to stop. So when I actually realized and I stopped and I was thinking then, if that's not who I am, and if God says that I'm whole and complete, and that when I was born into this world, I was fully loved, I was fully worthy, I was beautiful, I was whole and complete, I was limitless, these, these two don't make sense. So it's a complete contradiction. So what I did, I, had, I learned that I had to die to that former self. So that old self, I had to, she had to die, as in that everything I identified with her no longer could exist. And then the new person I was going to create in the image and the likeness of what God told me I was. So I recreated myself with a new identity, with a new love for myself, with a love for life, with a love for people. And I forgave. And I never, ever had to forgive people because I forgave them the moment they abused me. I always had that gift as a child. 
but I really had to forgive myself for hating myself. And that's where the, the healing and everything really came about. Mm, forgiveness, I think, is really important because the moment you forgive, the person no longer has the power over you. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not forgiveness so much of the person. I think we get that wrong because it's understanding. It's not accepting what they've done is okay. You're not ever saying that because it's not okay for somebody to abuse you or to, to do some horrific things to you. That's not okay. But what, what you're accepting, the fact that you're forgiving yourself for the feelings that you're still holding on to, for the meaning that situation gave to you that's ruining your life today. So when you for, can forgive that, you're setting yourself free. And that's what the whole process is. I really believe the whole process of life is cleansing ourselves, And everything that's happening to you, for you, is to help you cleanse yourself and to come back, return back to the essence of who you are, which is love. I love that. You put that so eloquently. Thank you. So the old Mimi died. The new one was reborn. That sounds so dramatic, huh? From a movie, I think. But yeah. how long did it take? It took a long time. I mean, I'm making it sound easy. There was things that, and even up to today, you know, that life is a journey and it never ends. There is no destination that we're ever going to reach. You know, all of life is about an expansion of ourselves and the continual growth process. And even today, I can still get things that would come up, but I have the ability now and I go through my own formula to really look at what is it? What is the, because nothing has any meaning in life until you give it meaning. So I'll look at it and think, what is the meaning I'm given that situation? Okay, I'm feeling insecure. I don't feel good enough. I'm feeling rejected. Why? And then I can go back and then I can clean it and sort it out and put it to bed. So they still come up. But it's about now, it's like, uh, how long am I going to emotionally react to them? Um, and instead of it taking days, weeks, it turns into your personality and then a mood, I can change it within maybe an hour, two hours, maybe half a day. It depends on, on, on the um, impact it has on me. So um, change really, it did take time because um, if I would have known my formula at the time, then maybe it would have helped me quicker. But I really believe that you know, one thing I've realized is that we're not here to dabble in anyone else's life. We're really not. And people, you know, one thing I, I did regret was the hypnotherapy because I don't believe in hypnotherapy. And a lot of people use it. And it's good, I think, if you want to stop smoking and things. But we created our lives consciously. And I think the most powerful thing to do is to recreate it consciously as well. Because it's not just about plucking one little part out. It's understanding the foundations of who you are. So when you understand the foundations, like building a house, you build it on solid ground, it can never topple down. So everything you put upon that then, it's stable and it's forever. And then you have your own mechanism that will always work for you, regardless of wherever you are in life or what happens to you. Nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. Goodness and every, and every, every belief is formed. So a belief is just a thought that you keep thinking about. And that belief is only about what you breathe life into. So what you gave meaning to that thought at the time. So there could be two people in a situation where they're both being abused. 
One people, one one child would say, "What's wrong with me? Why does Daddy or Mummy not love me? What have I done wrong?" Where the other one might say, "This is never happening to me again. When I'm older, no one will ever touch me again." So it's the meaning. It's the you know, and then that would go on to create your life experiences. But if you change the meaning to anything, you change the whole situation. Hmm. Incredible. I get that. So, what advice can you give to someone who's currently in a place? that they don't want to be? I think first thing to do is to, you have to develop awareness. Awareness is the number one key, I would say, to change any situation in your life. Because you have to look at, you know, why have you created this situation for yourself? So, you know, really look at, um, keep a journal, you know, the thoughts you think, the feelings you feel and the behaviors that you emit every single day. So you can start looking at your program because we are like a walk-in program and you can see what is this situation? How is it making you feel? What is it giving to you? You know, what, why are you there? Because we're always in a situation because of something we're admitting. So I think when you can develop awareness where you are not judging the person or judging yourself, you're standing outside of the experience, but you're looking in to look at yourself, like, why do you feel that way? Why are you having these feelings? You can look at and then start questioning, well, why am I thinking that way? You know, what what belief am I feeling? Well, I have to stay here because I don't think I'm good enough to have anything better. Well, where did that belief come from? So you can start questioning yourself. And when you question, then you can have different answers. And, you know, the reason people never get any change in their lives is because they ask themselves the wrong questions. It's always, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Those questions, your brain can only answer within the, um, within the library, or it'll go into your experiences and it'll come up with the answers. But if you ask the what if question, it thinks outside of your brain, it thinks past the experiences. So what if, what if I could change this? What if I could really create a different life for you, yourself? Then your brain will start thinking of different things that aren't part of your past experiences. So it expands you, and that's when you can get some really great answers. I love that. Okay. <clears throat> I want to step this up and move it on a bit now. I, I think I've tortured you enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you came through. You killed off the old Mimi. The new Mimi was born. Uh, so fast forward that a little, you set up a company, the New Life Academy, and you decided to write a book. The book is called The Answer Is You. And of course, based on what you've said so far, and what a fantastic title. It just, it says everything. And congratulations, Mimi, it's a number one bestseller. So I want to find out about this book. So can you summarize it for me, please? Why did you think you were the person to write it? And who is it written for? So the book is, um, I hate the analogy because uh, like keep it simple. I love that. Everything in life is so simple. We complicate it so much. We so do. I wanted a book that was really, it's only, I think, 70 or 80 pages long. But it's just simple of how our conscious mind works how our subconscious mind works what happens in the morning if you wake up and you open the fridge and a pint of milk falls on the floor and then you get angry and you're really annoyed and then how that sets you up to to keep attracting more things like that and how the reverse happens and it's got exercises in there to help you to reframe things and change and um, number, I think it's chapter five about your self-image. That's really important because you will never go beyond how you see yourself as well. It's very important to change your self-image. 
But um, that book literally came to me and flowed through me, and I think I wrote that within seven days. So it was um, it was a book that I wanted to write to help people. You know, I went, I go back quickly a step. So the dream I had when I was four years old, and this reoccurring dream I had my whole life. I, I can say it now because you're yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this dream was me being very present, but I wasn't present as a little girl. It was me as an older lady, and there was Moses, um, Jesus, um, Joan of Arc. There was all the greats in this in this surroundings. And Moses was holding a plaque. And on the plaque, it just said that you are the chosen one. That's all it said. And my mission, since I was a child, was to eliminate all pain and suffering. That's what my mission was in humanity. So I really understood why I had to experience those things. Because how can you experience love and joy unless you experience deep sadness and and pain. So I really experienced it and I loved it. So when I wrote this book, I spoke to God and I said that I want to write something that was easy to understand but would impact people and that they could maybe put into practice and understand a little bit more about the process. Um, Because you'll only accept uh, the knowledge and information that's basically what where you are you can't absorb any other information um so the book was written within seven days and um, when i launched it it was mental health awareness so i launched it for 70 pence worldwide and it went crazy in all the countries so uh, that's why it got to number one for that that very day which i'm really blessed for and then i went on to create an online course to work with the book so that you could really get more in depth and it's all about self-love it's all about returning back to yourself and understanding that you are the person that's attracting everything so when you can understand that then you can really change what you're emitting into the world okay i've got a different question it's not about the book itself it's how the book came to be so you made a comment and move and just in conversation, yeah, the book was channeled through me and it just came out in seven days. And I'm in my head, I'm going, whoa, wait a minute, because I know what it's like to write a book. So what I'm interested in here, and there'll be other people thinking, I've got a book inside me. I don't know how to get started or, or whatever their thoughts might be. So I want to rewind you now. You, you have this idea to write a book. What was the journey? I know the, the book took seven days, and I get that. I can understand that. But prior to the seven days, what happened? What was your journey? So uh, basically, I joined a book club. So it was a book club to teach you how to write a book. And um, it gave you um, examples where you put down seven chapters or eight chapters, however many chapters you want, and then you just brain dump in those chapters. So every day you might come up with a title and then you might just come up with a line or a few lines and you put it, you put it in there. And uh, when I was on this weekend intense uh, course, uh, we had to go off for like hours, hour and a half, two hours to write and come back again, three hours. And I would just have a brain freeze. Couldn't think of anything. And I was trying too hard to try to think. And it was really frustrating me. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to write this book. It's not going to happen. Um, but I love walking. 
And every day I have to walk and, and go meditating in the woods or the trees or wherever I go. I just love being in nature. And, you know, it's, um, I didn't realize until now, but um, being in nature is actually part of who we are. When everybody's stressed, if you get near water, near trees, near nature, it actually relaxes you and it expands your own consciousness because that is, we're back to, you know, this divine universe, we're all part of one. So I went off, started going back walking and I used to walk every day in Virginia waters and I'd go off the trail into the woods and just sit there and walk and I would really just sort of like, um, you know, meditation is us becoming familiar with ourselves. It was slowing down the analytical mind, just sitting there, relaxing, and I'd really get in tune with the universe to the point where I just, I felt like I was part of the universe. And then suddenly, all this stuff started coming into my mind. And I was like, oh, God, I've got nothing, I've got nothing on me. So what I started doing was taking a dictaphone with me. And when I'd go up to the woods and I'd hear these things coming to me, I would keep talking and saying it, then come home and brain dump into these chapters. And that's how that formulated. So, you know, everyone has got things inside of them. Um, but I think everyone's doing it the hard way. We're always trying to do it like matter to matter, try to change everything on the external resources of what's in front of us. And there's a much easier way when you actually go within yourself, you connect because all the information is already in the universe. You can connect to it and you can get downloads where it comes to you so much quicker. But if you don't act on it, then somebody else will pick that up as well because it's, it's, it's vibrational. It's out there already. You know? And a friend of mine done that. They were writing a song and it wasn't good enough for them. And um, I remember they were coming back uh, from a night out and they were in a taxi and they listened on the radio and they're like, that's the song that I've just written. But they never utilized it. They never picked it up because it wasn't good enough for them. So somebody else picked it up. It's like a book title you might think of and then don't don't no, don't uh, act on it. Somebody else has then thought of that book title. So, yeah, that's how that process happens. You know, I've heard that so many, many times where the universe has given someone an idea. They've not done anything with it. And then the universe moves on and they give the idea to someone else. Until eventually someone delivers. Yeah, because it's whoever's on that vibration. So whoever's on that vibration of thinking of writing a book, might be wanting to write a book similar to you, they're on that vibration, it's out there. And if they're in the vicinity of receiving, they will receive that idea. So, yeah, it's very powerful. And it's the same for, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, what is your process of, um, you know, why are you... Um, so successful in what you're doing at the moment because I've been doing the same thing as you I'm copying you I'm doing all the same thing what's the difference I said because you want it and I don't you need it and I don't need it I'm doing it because I'm enjoying it and I love writing and I love serving you're doing it because you want it to happen and the more you want it it's like digging a, putting a seed in and constantly watching it and like hey, why are you not growing <laughs> you have to leave it alone and you have to let it you know Nurturous, Hey, yeah, and have the faith in it as well. You know, so it's very important. Okay, so he, here's an interesting one then. The first Mimi, who no longer exists. <laughs> She's still there. <laughs> she, yeah. I love her. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so the other Mimi, the one who's um, experienced with these problems then, decides, you know, and you have the new Mimi, they coexist. You decide to write a book, which is 
It's a phenomenal thing to do. And it's also extremely brave because you're putting you into the world. I know exactly what that feels like. It's brave. It's super brave. Now, what I want to ask you is, what about the naysayers? Was there anyone in your life who said, Mimi, you are not the person to write this book? Was there? Did it exist? Um, no, I, I was really lucky, actually, because I think what happened was um, people had seen the changes within me and they knew that I'd become so strong mentally that regardless of what anyone said to me, that I wasn't absorbing their information. I didn't. I used to always say to people, like, what do you think? What do you think? Because, you know, as children and as parents, we do the greatest disservice to our children because whenever they come up with something, they say, what should I do? What? And we give them the answers. Um, and I've been told that my whole life. So even my mother, if I used to take her out for a meal, I'd say, what would you like to drink? I don't know. What do you think I should drink? I'm like, oh, well, poor thing. She's never been able to make a choice or decision for herself. So I stopped asking people and I started going within myself. I started learning um, a technique that I taught myself to ask myself questions. And I still do it now. So if there's a question that I have or a decision I have to make, I will muscle test on myself to see what I think about it. And then I'll ask the universe to send me a clear sign that it's exactly what I should be doing. And the other day, I, this is a funny one, I was going to sign a contract and it was a big contract which was going to change, could potentially like take me in another direction. And I wasn't sure. So I muscle tested it, kept coming back, yes, 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 yes. And I said, like, okay, I said to God, I, I call him God, like send me a clear sign, this is what I should be doing. And the person's name came up on a lorry that came straight past me and stopped straight in front of me. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, they say in the Bible, we have not because we ask not. You know, we, we don't ask for things. But you have to ask. And then, you, you know, the universe wants to help us. It's there to guide us. And how can it help if you don't ask? So ask specific questions of what you want and ask it in the right way. So I never had anyone telling me about the book. But what I did have a lot of resistance with, people didn't like who I was becoming. And I had a lot of that. I would have people say to me, I don't like the new you. You're up your ass. You think you're something better than what you are. Why can't you be the way you are? Um, why can't you stay the way you are? Because I can't relate to you anymore. And people would want to phone me and tell me about their pains and problems. And I'd say, well, why don't you think about it this way? Or, you know, really, you could look at it. And they're like, oh, I don't want to hear that crap. You know, just I want you to feel sorry for me. Get into the pain with me. And I, I can't do that. You know, I can't do that anymore. Unfortunately, I'll be here as your friend to support you and love you. But And that caused me a lot of problems, even with family members to a degree, you know, like it was quite hard. And uh, one conversation I remember I had with a family member, which really hurt me. And they were saying, like, I don't like you anymore. I cannot relate to you. Um, you know, um, why did you have to change? I don't like the new you. And when I went and sat in my car afterwards, I had to really process it and think they don't mean what they're saying at all. They're just hurt because they can't have those conversations with me anymore. And how I can't help them by keeping them in their pain and suffering. I'm no good to them. So I have to stay consistent with who I am. You know, so, but I, I understood where they were coming from and it must have been painful for them as well. You know, that's really, really important. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about our new books in a moment. But the book I'm writing, The 11 Steps of Success, one of them 
is to have the right support group. And what happens, I don't know whether you found this, Mimi, but when I wrote my book, when I got to the end of it, I was a different person to who I was at the beginning of it. And what happened, I wouldn't say people told me they didn't like me. Perhaps they were not so harsh. However, the circle of friends that I had at the beginning have all gone now. And I mix with a different group of people. And I lost family members because of it. And I think when people are stuck in a situation like you were, sometimes you need to outgrow and be with a different group of people. And people are afraid to do that and they stay where they are. And what I've seen with successful people is that Sometimes there's compromise, sometimes there's sacrifice. And quite often that sacrifice is the people around you. And there's lots of scientific study out there to say we are all the products of the people we mix with. Yeah. I put a, I put a quote on LinkedIn a few weeks ago and it said, if you want to be a millionaire, mix with millionaires. If you want COVID... Mix of people who've got COVID, you know, and it, yeah, Yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So the people with whom you keep company determine who you are, what you think and who you become. Totally. And and it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, we look at it as, as a bad thing to do a, an inventory of our own selves and our own life because we outgrow people as well. And, you know, as long as you can move on in a nice way, you know, I think there's a there's a nice way and a wrong way of doing things. But, you know, even relationships, we out, we outgrow relationships. But I think it's about being honest with each other and just saying, you know what, this has been amazing. And, you know, I love you, I'm not in love with you anymore or with friends. It's been an amazing friendship but we're just going on different paths. And you and some people won't like it because they don't want you to, to, to move on and to grow. Some people will detach from you, and I've had a lot of that, because they're really jealous of you. And you're like, what are you jealous of? But they don't want to see you grow because they can't, they're not getting to where they want to go to. But I think it's really important, as you said, to, to be able to let things go. Because if you can't let go, you can't grow to the next stage as well. And it is very, very important on who you surround yourself with and find the right network of people. You know, I had um, a great, um, I'm part of a great um, networking event now, um, Global Women. I joined uh, this year. Um, Amazing women, all business women, all going in the same direction, all pull us, we all pull in the same direction and it's more than that. It's like having like-minded people. It's very important. So people that are cheering you on, because you said about the book, it was really funny, because when my book went to number one, and the publicist that I was with, she phoned me, and she was like, let's have a party. This is it. It got in five countries, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was like, oh, that's amazing. But when I came off, um, my friend said to me, wow, like, you, you, you're a best-selling author. Like, look at you. Like, what does that mean to you? And I said, nothing i'm like why and they would say the same thing if i would heal somebody like somebody had a um like a they've been told they had a terminal disease and i'd managed to heal them or something could happen to them or i was working with a suicide patient and they changed in that meeting they would say to me like wow like 
And I would never be able to uh, recognize it. It was nothing to me. And I realized that was an issue as well because I couldn't accept anything good. So I really had to start seeing. I still have a little issue with that now. But I, I couldn't see anything. Well, that's just normal to me. It was, it was normality, you know. So I had to really start thinking, well, that was really good. So that's another thing I do as well. I actually praise myself. And I'll say to myself, that was amazing. Well done, Sean. I'm really proud of you. I know the course I've just done. Well done. I'm really, really proud of you. Because we've never had those things spoken over. So it feels unfamiliar to us. So I think it's very important. And you are so right. You have to choose the people that you want to be with. Because if you want to, like you said, if you want to grow and expand, and if there's certain things you want in your life, then hang out with the people that have already got that. And if you can't find those people... We're privy to so much information, Google, podcast, YouTube. There's no excuse. You can Google the people that you want to resonate with and then watch them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many questions I have for you. I'm going to have to invite you back again. <laughs> just, just in that that one alone. I mean, you quite, again, you quite glibly said, oh, this is amazing. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. I mean, the difference between those two things that's worth an episode all by itself i'm going to come back to that but success many people fail to get traction on their goals because they get paralyzed with fear now you spoke about that right at the beginning then and and i thought i'll hold this and just bring it back at the right time now is the right time so what is fear how does it serve us as human beings and in your experience how can we move forward in our lives in the presence of fear well fear is just you know we have these acronyms false evidence appearing real it's not real it's a feeling it's an emotion and fear really is there to it's it's there to protect us to be honest it's there to help us to stop us from looking silly from stop us from you know the experiences that we've had and we've got recording like oh if you do that people may laugh at me or i might not be good enough so the fear comes up from like your past experiences to think oh maybe do you think you want to put yourself through that again like what if what if you fail again or and it's all that that's what all fear is so i think when you can understand what it's trying to do for you it's actually trying to keep you safe you can actually talk to the fear i do it all the time and if i'm going to go into something and i get the butterflies or something's going to happen i just say it's okay I've got this. Thank you so much. But, you know, I'm a big girl now. I've got this. But thank you. Because it is just trying to help you. And then you, the fear release. But I don't think, you know, even talking to a famous opera singer, um, you know, a while ago, they have that fear and those butterflies in their stomach all the time. It's just learning how to deal with it and go with it. I don't, I don't think you ever get rid of that. It's not fear, but even that, that, uh, that choking sort of feeling because your body is always going to go into like, uh, you know, fight or flight, what's going to happen? But it's just learning to understand what your body's doing and to say, come on, it's going to be exciting. You know, on the other side of this, just think what can happen. So it's how you talk to yourself. You know, every single thing is about the words that you prophesize over yourself. So I think it's really important. But for me, you have to have a vision. The vision has to be really impactful because most people don't even know what they want in life. They don't know where they're going and they don't know what they want. And people say to me, like, I just want to be happy. Well, what does happiness look like to you? What does that mean? 
I don't know, I just want to be happy. Well, if you don't know what happiness looks like, how can you attain it? So you have to be very specific in what you want and where you're going because it, it says in the Bible as well, you know, those without vision, you die because we are growth expanding beings. That's what we're here for, to keep growing and expanding. And every time you know, like if you buy a Ferrari or you write a book, you think this is going to be the most important thing in my life. You get it. A week later, you're like, okay, done that. What's next? Because it's not because we're being, um, you know, we're, we're on, we're trying to always trying to elude something that's not there. We're not satisfied. That's our natural state of being. We're here to experience all of life. So it's about expanding. Or what could I do next? Like a charge. Or what could I do next? But most people have lost that whole connection with themselves and the joy part of it. And, you know, most children don't wake up every morning and think, uh, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to be a CEO of a company and be depressed and, you know, have so much stress. I look at my grandchildren and they wake up in the morning, four, you know, five years old, even you know, eight year old. They jump out of bed. They run downstairs. Oh, oh, can I use this box, man? I'm going to be a knight and I use this as my sword. And they start making up stories and living in their imagination. And, and we've lost that ability. Everything to us is so serious and life's become so boring and we've become so dredged by um, putting all these stipulations in front of our own lives. And we've got to get back to being childlike you know and I walk down the road and I walk wherever I go and I skip and I sing and people say to me wow like you know you are you're an eight-year-old but I don't ever want to lose that because I love living you know I wake up every day and I'm like what what's today going to bring me you know <laughs> I love that I'm going to share a story with you now so I was on holiday with my family and we were out walking after dinner and it started raining it didn't rain a little bit it was torrential. It was hammering down. And everyone was running for cover. So my two daughters were with me and I said, hey, let's just enjoy this. huh?" And we were dancing and singing in this rain. We were absolutely soaked. We got back to the hotel <laughs> and we walked into the bar and there was a guy walking behind me with a mop. <laughs> mopping up the floor it was so wet and my daughter got married a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned this in my speech but my daughter didn't know my speech and in her speech she also had it and it was just one of those moments in life that's you know it's rain just just enjoy it yeah. enjoy magical, magical moments like you yeah. said You've imprinted a memory that's staying in, in her heart. For yeah, years, yeah. Learn to dance in the rain or dance yeah. like nobody's watching in the rain. <laughs> or, or dance and not worry who's watching. Yeah, who cares? Worried about what other people are thinking about us. Like, yeah. like you said, we only have one life and there's no dress rehearsal. So just go and live it and how you want to live it. Yeah, and as Anthony Hopkins said, none of us are going to get out of this alive. It's like, ooh. So uh, going back to fear, I ask you that, and I loved what you said in that fear is not real, it's imagined. So we're not so good at the cardboard box and being a nice anymore, but we are really good at imagining the fear and all the problems. And I get why, as human beings, it exists, it's there to protect us. And I love your strategy for talking to it and saying, hey, thanks, I've got this. 
So I'm going to use that strategy. But what, what came to me, for years I was training in uh, karate. And I was coming up for my black belt. And my sensei is a double world champion. And I said to him, I have a fear about something. And, and it was something to do with the syllabus in karate. Now, this guy's a double world champion. The guy is incredible. You know, and my view of him, he's fearless. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we used to fight and he used to play with me. We didn't really used to fight. He was just incredible. So um, he said, Jeff, we all feel fear. It's how we deal with that fear in our mind that makes the difference. I thought, wow. In fact, I put that quote in one of the acknowledgements of my books. It affected me that deeply. So to hear you repeat it again, it really, really resonates. So fear is not real. Well, it is, but only in our mind. It's, yeah, there, it's, it, it's there to protect us. And, yeah, and, you, and something you just said that, you know, is really important. You know, we live in a, um, a universe, in a reality that is very, very negative. And I believe that there's a reason why we're fed so much negativity and so much fear. So, you know, this is why I don't watch the TV and I don't read papers, and people will say, when you live a Pollyanna lifestyle, you just bury your head in the sand. And my son will say to me, Mom, don't you know what's happening in the real world? And I said, no, I don't want to know, because I create the world I want to live in. And I think we have to really, really take responsibility for what seeds we allow to penetrate our minds. You know, I'm not going into conspiracy theories or not. That's another tip. That's another show. (laughs) (laughs) But we, we have to wake up to the fact that the reality we're living is not really reality and there's a lot of things that are happening around us to keep us stressed to keep us living in fear and um, why would that be because when you're stressed and fearful your body breaks down when your body breaks down your body becomes in harmony stress and fear separate you from yourself that's where then it goes into co- like like a computer going mad, you, you've unraveled all the program, but that's where you can pick up all the sickness and illnesses. Then you go to the doctor and you're told you need a doctor to fix you. So then the medic- you take the medication and then you have all these people telling you this is going to be your outcome and the seeds are planted. So you have to be really, really careful what you allow to penetrate your mind. And I think it's very, you have to, to really step back and to stop believing. You know, everybody believes everything they're told. You know, they don't question anything. And I'm like, what is wrong with people? They're like, and I don't want to sort of like, you know, um, put sheep down because sheep are very intelligent people, but they're just like the blind leading the blind. You know, it comes, something comes up on the telly and, oh, that's that's the truth. Something else comes up. This is going to be the reality. Oh, that's the truth. And I'm like, what is wrong with people? So all I'd say is take a stand back and really become the powerful creator that you were born to be. Because you can be, do, and have anything. You, can, you have the capability to overcome anything. But it's you, and it's what you're breathing life into. Yeah, very important. I think that's the conversation for you and I to have over dinner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now for something that really excites me. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a chat. It was supposed to be five minutes. It went on for more than half an hour. 
I shared with you that I'm writing a new book and you said, hey, Jeff, so am I. And we both got so excited. So, Mimi, your new book, what's it all about? Tell me. Um, It's only in the pipeline at the moment, so I'm not really supposed to be talking about it. But it's more, it's going to be really about me interviewing other people um, and people that have been very successful. Because I want to get into the mindsets of, you know, everybody starts from nowhere. And most of the people that have made it today, the you know, people like Sir Alan Sugar and Richard Branson and things, they started with nothing, but they had a vision, a dream, and from nothing and nowhere to something and something, you know, I want to know, like, what did people do to get in the 1% club? What did they shift in their mindset? Because everything's a mindset. They had to have a change of a thought process. So I want to know what it is, because as you said, with your book, you know, there is a formula that you have found out for wealth. You know, I found the formula for life. So my formula for life is how to um, how to create happiness and love and um, how to eliminate sickness. That was another thing I never told you, but how I heal my body within two days of all afflictions. There is a process and there's laws in this life. And when you follow the laws, then things can, you can attain them so much easier. So the book is really for me to go and find out from some of the greats of how they've achieved what they've achieved. And so that other people can really understand that it's, we're all the same. There's not one person that hasn't got the same capabilities as someone who's a multimillionaire or someone who's a professional golf player or someone who's at top of it. We all have that ability. And I can't stand it when I hear parents saying to their children, you haven't got that ability. You, you, your grades aren't. It's got nothing to do with grades. You, you could never go to school and you could be the most successful entrepreneur in the world. You know, it's not about that. It's about the vision. It's about what you're bringing to life with your words and everything else. So I really, we do really need to retrain people and, you know, humanity on how to really see and think and feel about things. Yeah. One thing I'll, I'll just rewind on. You said, I found the formula for wealth. Yes. So making money, once you know how to do it, is quite easy. But rewinding on what we said earlier about what is success, success, of course, means different things to different people, which is how my journey evolved. When I was 18, my question was, how does a millionaire become a millionaire? And I found out relatively quickly how that happened. But then I found quite a few millionaires really not happy. Yeah. And their success actually wasn't making the millions. It was something else. Mm -hmm. So they climbed the ladder of success only to find he's leaning up the wrong wall. Mm -hmm. So this podcast and the new book is about success, not necessarily about wealth, because I don't think people are motivated by money. I think they're motivated by the choices that money gives them. 100%. And I think, you know, people um, put so much emphasis on money because of the freedom that it will give them. When I have money, then I can leave this crappy boss or I won't be in this position or I won't be in this relationship or things are going to change me or I can do this. But, you know, you don't need money to attain any of the things that you want. And people are going to say, well, you do, but you don't. You have to know what you want and you have to have a clear intention. When you set that intention and you stay aligned with it, the universe will help you. They'll bring people and situations to you 
so that you can then fulfill that that mission. Yours was the world. Mine was how to eliminate pain and suffering in the world. So that you know, it's it's a similar process. You know, what you ask for, you do. You know, you do get. So, uh, and you're right. You know, I work with a lot of millionaires and a few billionaires that stated their whole lives on wanting more, wanting more, and then the money becomes power. And then the power becomes a, a fear because you have to earn more because then the money might go. So you, you, you're actually living a life you actually don't want to live. And then your relationships break up and you have no relationships with your family, with your children. And then all they want to do is give it all away and go and climb um, Kilimanjaro or something and find themselves. And, and you know, I say like, and it even says in the Bible that money is not a bad thing. Wealth is amazing. You know, that some of the richest people in the Bible were, you know, they, they had wealth because what could you do with that wealth? How can you help other people? And like with you, Jeff, with your foundation and all the amazing things you're doing in the world, it's about, you know, for me, it's about earning the money and then trickling it down to the people that need it, that can't afford it, haven't got those resources. So wealth is amazing. It's, it's the mindset that you have with wealth and how it changes you. I think that's where the problem occurs. Absolutely. I, um, I saw a program, a very famous TV interview in the UK. Now, I'm going back a long time now. I was 12 years old. But this program had such a profound effect on my life, on this one interview. I'm going to share it with you because it's relevant to what we just said. Tom Jones, the singer... Everybody knows Tom Jones, right? That's not unusual. So he was being interviewed by Michael, Michael Parkinson. And I think he just got Delilah to number one and he was on the show. So Michael Parkinson said to him, he said, hey, Tom, you've got a number one record. You've obviously made some money. So Tom Jones said, yeah, I'm doing okay. And then here's the question. Michael Parkinson said, so Tom, this money, has it changed you? Now, Tom Jones's reply had such a massive impact upon my life. Bear in mind, I was 12, and it even affects me now today. Here's what he said. Having money doesn't change you. It allows you to be the person who you really are. Not having money changes you because you then have to be subservient to other people. When you have money, you can be who you are. You know, and I thought, wow. And I started observing that. And I've met many millionaires. Some of them are real nice. Some of them, really not. Um <clears throat> Draw your own conclusions from that, but money, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, it's much better to be rich. However, it just gives you the choice, and who you become um, has a lot to say about that, and it's not the money, it's who you really are. Yeah. So I have another question for you. This question I ask to everyone at the end. What's the most important thing you've ever learned? Oh, most important thing. I'd say that that reality isn't real. It's an illusion. Uh, that's one of the most important things I think I've learned. And 
I think the most important thing is to never, ever lose yourself. I think, for me, the whole of life is about knowing who you are. Um, if you don't know who you are, then you are just like a, a feather, um, a, a leaf blowing, and people can then, they can then shape you, they can then mould you, they can tell you who you are, they can, you know, they can prophesize your life. But when you know who you are, like, and I never knew who I was, now I do. And, you know, that feeling of knowing who you are, standing in your truth, I think is the most important thing in the world because I don't care what anyone tells me. I don't care if they said the world was going to end tomorrow. That, you know, I don't care what anyone told me. I know that's not my truth. And I know that I am the creator of my reality and I will create the life that I want to live. So it doesn't matter what anyone prophesizes. So I think that's the one of the most important things when you know who you are and you're standing in your truth, then it becomes amazing. You know, it's like, you take all your power back because we're very powerful beings. And like you said, like with money, you can use that power for good or bad, but it's lovely to have that power. So no one, you're not, you're not subservient to the external world anymore. You're now in control. So instead of reacting to the world, you are the creator of the world instead. And I think that's a really lovely place to be. Absolutely. So now that you know, <laughs> beyond doubt, who you are, <laughs> what does success look like for you nowadays? So success for me is that I really, really want to make a mark in the world. Like for me, my whole ethos was that I want to eliminate pain and suffering in humanity. And um, how I do that, if that's by one person at a time or by talking to multiple people, that's my goal in life. You know, I feel like that's what God's put me on this earth for. And I really want to heal this world. And it's so simple it's it's stop doing everything we're doing and sometimes it's it's too much knowledge and information and it's just about bringing it all back to ourselves because if we start taking responsibility for ourselves if we mind our own business and stop putting our business in other people's business and just focus on who we are how we want to be what we want to contribute to the world and how we want to affect other people's lives and then the world will sort itself out but we're always looking at other people you know and uh yeah, for me, I just want to make a positive impact in people's lives. And I want to show my sons, which I have, and, but my grandchildren now, that regardless of where you start in life, regardless of what may happen to you, that you have the mentality and the emotions to pull yourself to create any life you want. So I want to prove to them that we're limitless, that no one can prophesize your life, only yourself. And I can only do that by being an example to them. Great. So Mimi, you have a book, you have a business, you have some courses, you've got all kinds of stuff to offer. So if someone wants to reach out to you, Mimi, how do we do this? Uh, my website is uh, mimibland.london. Uh, my Instagram is mimibland.london. <laughs> I try to make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel a trend coming on here now. <laughs> um, I think LinkedIn is just Mimi Bland. So, yeah, <laughs> just my name. If you put Mimi Bland in Google, I come up. <laughs> okay, that's absolutely wonderful. That's it for today. I'm sure I'll be asking you for more about Mimi Plans. You have been truly, truly amazing. I've loved having you on the show today. Thank you so much for bearing your soul and sharing with us the true you. 
Thank you, Jeff. It's been amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I hope this show has helped you to ignite your passion, be a catalyst for action, and giving you the fuel you need to realize your dreams and to find out who you really are. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button, the like button to make sure you don't miss any new episodes. Leave a review. And here's the thing. Share this episode with just one person. You never know the difference it makes. And it also makes a huge difference to us because without you, we can't succeed. So please go ahead, hit like, and then share the episode with one person. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com. I'd really love to hear from you and I'd love to have you on the show. That's all from me today. Thank you again for listening. It's been awesome. Thank you again, Mimi Bland. Have a great day.